Could the madness be any more miraculous in March? We had a feeling the NCAA tournament would be as wide open as ever, and St. Peter's knocking off Kentucky and then Murray State is proof of that. Hello again, everyone. I'm Brian DiNovellis. This is episode 33 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. It's the story of the tournament, maybe the story of the year in college basketball, as St. Peter's not only upsets Kentucky, one of the bluest of blue bloods, but then takes down Murray State. Did you know Murray State was the best mid-major team in the country? They were 31-2. and They had a 21-game winning streak. It's not like they were following up a Kentucky win with a game against St. Francis. And now the Peacocks are strutting their stuff right down the turnpike, straight down I-95 to Philadelphia, to the Sweet 16, the city of brotherly love, where they'll face Purdue on Friday, 7 p.m., the Wells Fargo Center. Mark my words, this will be a pro St. Peter's crowd. The first team from the MAC Conference ever to reach the Sweet 16, just miles up the road in Jersey City. You know there will be fans there, the majority of them rooting for the Peacocks. But I love this Purdue team. This Purdue team is good. In my opinion, they are the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, this is going to be a tall task, literally and figuratively. They're going up against 7-4 Zach Edney, 6-10 Travion Williams. But if you think St. Peter's will be intimidated, you don't know these peacocks. Shaheen Holloway already has a quote that is up on a Jersey billboard somewhere in the turnpike. And he said, I've got guys from New Jersey and New York City. Do you think we're scared of anything? That quote should be forever hung above the entrance to the Yanatelli Center for every fan and every opposing team to see. We've got guys from New Jersey and New York City. Do you think we're scared of anything? Priceless. Holloway and the Peacocks met with the media on Tuesday. This was their final media session, and it was quite a scene. There were more camera crews in that gym in one day than there probably were in the last 10 years combined. It was a mob scene. The media calling the Peacocks a Cinderella team. We're calling them Cinderella because they are Cinderella. They're trying to do the unthinkable and become the first 15 seed ever to go to the Elite Eight. Shaheen Holloway says, we don't look at ourselves as Cinderella. We belong here and we wanna keep it rolling. Here's what the coach said on a Zoom call later Tuesday evening. I had a chance to ask him a couple of questions myself. I'm blown away by their maturity with everything that's going on right now, blown away. Because it's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to get big at it. It's so easy to feel them feeling themselves, feeling like, feeling like they're bigger than anybody else. And these guys have just been, like, I'm talking about, like, on a path that they believe that what we're doing, they could continue to keep doing it. And that's what I love about this team. Like, they're not satisfied. Like, they're like, no, like, why not us? Like, why can't we go in there and play with them? You know, and that's why... When I, when I talk about these guys, I, you know, I get goosebumps and then chill because it's like these guys are like, 
Like these guys act like this. These guys act like they've been there before. And that's what I love about it. Like, it's not like, oh, it's like almost like they expect to be there, right? And it's like, who are you guys? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like it's St. Peter's, like, what are you guys thinking about? Right? It's like like you're playing Friday night in Philadelphia for Sweet 16. Are you kidding me? Like, think about that's just all everybody right now that's on this zone. Let's just think about that for one second. Right? And I'm gonna say something, and I hope this don't come up the wrong way. But this is the same team that lost to St. Francis at home. You know, like a good Stony Brook team. Like teams that I thought we should have beat. Right? And teams that everybody else thought we should have beat. Right? And now we're here, and it's like, like, I'm just being honest, man. I know I'm just rambling right now, but I haven't really had a chance to even think about what we did or what we're doing. Like, we're just living in the moment, just out there playing. I wanted to talk to you about Purdue a little bit. So much is made about your defense and as good as it is, but what are the challenges that your offense is going to face against their length and trying to score against them? The same challenges we've been having all year. <laughs> um, you know what? A lot of our a lot of our offense come off our defense. So that's gonna be big for us. You know, that's like when we're playing our best, that's kind of how we score, right? Um, and then we just gotta get them moving. You know, they big, you know, they are, you know, athletic, but we gotta get them moving side to side, you know, be like get the big guy and some pick and rolls, you know, um, and just you know, do what we do and you know, we're we're not changing anything, you know. It's not broke, so why try to fix it, right? I just just go out there and you want to tweak a couple of things. Obviously, you have to. Um, but for the most part, try to score off our defense and, and our half course set, executing, trying to find God's shots. So, Shaheen, when you have an opportunity like this, what would it mean for you to take that next step and win that next game and have a chance to go to the Final Four? You kind of just answered it, but maybe you could elaborate that on a little bit, just what it would mean to keep going further and become that team that's never done it before as a 15 seed? Well, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, right? So now, you know, we talk about Friday night, right? Get the opportunity to play Friday night and win Friday night, you know, and then you could, you know, go from there. What's going on right now is tremendous for this community, right? For two years, it's been nothing but dark times with, with, with COVID, right? And now you're getting a little, a little sunlight, a little, little, little light for somebody to be like, you know, you can see the tunnel a little bit. Fans are back out. People are back cheering. Like we walking down the street in Jersey City, people are going crazy for us. Like, like that's that's a story within itself. So it would mean everything for this university to keep moving forward. Everything on every level, right? Enrollment, you know, hopefully sponsorship for the school. You know, you know light on this like every anything that you can name it would mean that much to this to, to us over here everything what a story it is you know it's one thing for north carolina to get to the sweet 16 kansas duke gonzaga those teams i mean that's just a stepping stone on the way to get to where they expect to be. And that's the final four competing for a national championship. But when a team like St. Peter's whose gym 
holds 3,500 fans, max. When a team like St. Peter's in the middle of Jersey City, not the safest of areas if you've ever been by there, okay? There are high school gyms in Tom's River, at Tom's River North High School that hold more fans than St. Peter's. So when this happens at a school like St. Peter's, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to them from an athletic standpoint. This is a program that will reap the benefits, as Shaheen Holloway said. It will reap the benefits monetarily, donations, admissions, enrollment, because now, even if you live in Lexington, Kentucky, you have heard of St. Peter's. You have now heard of St. Peter's, and you know they're from Jersey City, New Jersey. What a story it's been. What a story it continues to be. So to take it one step further, they're going to have to beat a very good, an elite Purdue team. Maybe Matt Painter's best team that he's had there. In my opinion, they are the most balanced. They're certainly the biggest, the best team in the Big Ten. They arguably have the best player in the conference in Jaden Ivey. This kid's going to be a lottery pick. He is lightning quick. They're the best shooting team in the Big Ten. They're the best three-point shooting team in the Big Ten. One of the best in the nation. It's not just Ivy. It's Sasha Stefanovic. It's Mason Gillis. It's Eric Hunter. These guys shoot it at almost 40% from three. Almost 50% as a team. They're the best rebounding team in the Big Ten. The second highest scoring team at just under 80 a game. They beat Yale by double digits. They beat Texas by double digits. They are a 12 and a half point favorite over St. Peter's. That is the team that's standing in St. Peter's way. But Shaheen Holloway's players, he and his coaching staff, they're not intimidated. This team has built its reputation by being tougher, stronger, hungrier than you are. So Purdue, you better bring it. You better be just as hungry, just as tough, just as strong, if not more than these one and two star kids from Jersey City, from New Jersey, from New York. St. Peter's is the best team in the MAC at defending the other team. They allow just 62 points per game. They're the best in field goal defense and three-point field goal defense. So really, it's the best defensive team in the MAC going up against the best offensive team in the Big Ten. That's what we're talking about. Bring it on. Shaheen Holloway has said, you want to play offense for me? You got to play defense first. If you give me the hard work on defense, I'll let you play offense. How's that? And by the way, there are people out there now taking note of St. Peter's offense. When J.J. Redick 
one of the best players in Duke history, says, man, Shaheen Holloway runs some really good sets, really good sets. You know that you're not talking about the weave. This is not an ISO offense, ladies and gentlemen. This is a team that buys into the offense and the offensive system that their coach wants them to run. They run it hard. They run it well. But he'll be the first to tell you, their defense, as he said, leads to their offense. So what are the keys for St. Peter's? Let's call them three keys for St. Peter's. Number one, and you will hear announcers talk about this. Book it. The magic number is 70. When Purdue is held under 70 points, they are three and seven on the season. Purdue has seven losses. All seven of their losses have come when they've scored less than 70 points. That's the magic number. Second key, keep the Boilers bigs off the boards. Keep the Boilers bigs off the boards. Tall order for a guy who's six foot seven. But if anyone at six foot seven can hold down a seven foot four player, it's Casey Nadefo, the three-time MAC Defensive Player of the Year. Fusine Drame is also going to be in there. It's going to be up to those two to get the rebounds, to defend, and keep those bigs out of there. Trevion Williams is a load at 6'10", upwards of 260 pounds. And he comes off the bench. So that is going to be a tall order. If they put them, if Matt Painter puts them both in there at 7, 4, and 6, 10, look out. But I wouldn't bet against the St. Peter's Peacocks in this case. That's key number two. Key number three, I know it sounds simplistic, but make shots. At some point, you have to make shots. At some point, when Kentucky was still scoring, St. Peter's had to make shots, didn't they? That's when a player like Daryl Banks stood up and scored 27 points and hit five of eight three-pointers. That's when a player like Doug Eddard was hitting threes and becoming a national meme. Eddard, by the way, nine for 13 with 33 points in St. Peter's two NCAA tournament games. Those two players, Eddard and Banks, will have to make plays. And don't think for a second that they're going to look at these Purdue players and say, man, we watch these guys on TV all the time. Eddard has been playing in big games since he was at Bergen Catholic. Banks has been playing in big games against big-time players since he was at St. Pat's. Let's not forget, he was on that 2017 Patrick School team that won the Tournament of Champions against Don Bosco Prep, who, by the way, had Ron Harper Jr. and Marcellus Erlington, formerly of St. John's, on that Don Bosco Prep team. Daryl Banks has played with big-time players at the Patrick School. He was a teammate of Jordan Jelly Walker. He was a teammate of Seton Hall's Jameer Harris. 
and Clemson's Alamir Dawes. He's played in big games. Eddard has played in big games. These are Jersey kids, New York City kids. We keep saying it, but they're going to give it their all. Look, it's another tall order, no pun intended. I thought they would keep it close against Kentucky, but I thought the Wildcats' superior talent would prevail and pull them through. I was wrong. When you have talent and you have heart, you have a combination that can take you places and win you games. I did think they would beat Murray State. Once they beat Kentucky, I knew this team wasn't through. Can they make it three? Here's my prediction. I'm going to say St. Peter shocks the world one more time and pulls off the upset 65-64. If they do, they will become the first 15 seed to ever advance to the Elite Eight. Now, the other big story on Tuesday was Kevin Willard's introductory press conference as the new head coach of the University of Maryland. Did you follow this on social media? The Maryland men's basketball account was posting video of Willard walking out of a private jet that flew him to Maryland. So he walks out onto the tarmac. There's cheerleaders, the band, even Testudo's there, the Maryland mascot. I don't know. I thought I was watching astronauts come home on the space shuttle at Edwards Air Force Base <laughs> or something, right? Uh, it was something that Kevin Willard just didn't seem comfortable doing, but he knew he had to do it because the cameras were rolling. That laughter you hear in the background is none other than J.P. Pelsman, who's been covering Seton Hall for more than 20 years. He's also covered the Jets. And you know what? He can tell you a thing or two about Hofstra men's basketball, but we're going to talk about Seton Hall and what has transpired over the last week or so. JP, did you see what I saw with that uh, Willard private jet? Exactly. I saw the same thing, Brian. It's just, he, he, he just looks so uncomfortable because that's just not Kevin. Kevin is not a pomp and circumstance kind of guy. He's not a make a big deal kind of guy. He, he wants to fly under the radar, but guess what? That's not the deal anymore. I mean, he's not in a place where it's, yes, it's a pro market, but Maryland basketball is a religion in that state. I mean, it's situated right in the beltway. Now, granted, it's closer to DC than Baltimore, but it's, it's major in both of those markets. Uh, both of those, uh, the news, the major newspapers, the Baltimore Sun and the Washington Post cover it. The TV stations in both markets cover it. Uh, he is going to have to get used to being under the microscope in a way that he never was in 12 years at Seton Hall. I mean, I'm sure he can make the adjustment, but looking at the way he uh, he almost winced when he was being hugged by the, the uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to take some time to make that adjustment. Sure. Well, ready or not, here it comes. I like the way you said fly under the radar, by the way. Maybe that maybe they should have flown him in in a stealth and then he could have just you know, <laughs> stuck in the back door. <laughs> I mean, so, maybe he could have used uh, the Wonder Woman's invisible plane or something. Yes, there we go. Going back to our days. Wow. That, that, that's something. <laughs> uh, I always wondered why, why you could see Wonder Woman and yet the rest of the jet was invisible. Anyway, I'm like that, Yeah, like how did that help? How did that help? <laughs> 
Wouldn't they help if you were invisible? Not that you'd want that. No, no, never, never. I'm with you, JP. Uh, so what should Maryland fans expect? All right. We, we got used to Kevin Willard over the last 20 years and, you know, his, his, um, his humor, right. His, the way, the way he handled the media and, and his, you know, smart ass comments sometimes, but, but what should Maryland fans expect? Should they expect him to win right away? Well, I think, I don't think the cupboard's bare. And I think he, I don't know if he, how big he'll win right away, but it's not impossible. I think what's, what he's going to have to do is let's face it, Brian, he's not going to change. We're still going to see the weave. <laughs> with the ISO. I think what Maryland is banking on is that you take Kevin Willard, you put him in a situation where all of a sudden he's getting four and five stars. That's what they're banking on. I mean, it looks like he'll be bringing in. I mean, it seems like Tony skin's going to be one of the guys. I mean, He'll be bringing in big-time recruiters, they think, to recruit the DMV area. Now, if they get the four and five stars that Maryland always hopes they can get and, and has gotten at times over the years, you bring in the four and five stars, you get better ISO players. I mean, I think that, and we can, a little bit of a Seton Hall postmortem, as much as I love Jared Roden as a player, he wasn't quite the ISO player that, say, a Mamu or Miles Powell was, or an Isaiah Whitehead was. I think that's why the offense bogged down a lot this year. Kevin Ward's offense, the pro offense he runs, depends on guys who are dependable ISO players. I know I said depend twice, but that's what they're banking on down in College Park, that he's going to get superior players who are have superior athleticism, superior shot-making abilities, who can back people down, who can do the ISO. But that's not going to happen overnight. They're going to have to take time to get those guys in the building. Now, if they can get them, yeah, he can be successful. But that's a big if. Well, listen, Mark Turgeon had those players. He had Bruno Fernando. He had Jalen Smith. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Collin was a great point guard. Uh, the problem was, was some of them, you know, Herter left early for the NBA. And, and that's the problem, too, when you're at a place like that and guys have dreams of the NBA. Now, the big knock I guess with Maryland fans and I'm one of them because my son went there so I watch a lot of Maryland basketball you're kind of getting getting the same coach I mean they got rid of Mark Turgeon who had a lot of success there who won a big 10 regular season championship back in 20 who knows what they would have done in the in the postseason that year who was five and five in the NCAA tournament had more success than Kevin Willard but who couldn't get past the sweet 16, just one sweet 16. So he's not a sexy pick and he's not someone who's going to excite Maryland fans. I'm sure they'll give him some time, but my question is how much time before they realize it's Mark Turgeon all over again? Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I can't say that Damon Evans, and this is not a knock on Kevin. Kevin is who Kevin is, but I mean, if I'm a Maryland fan, I'm not really a big Damon Evans, the athletic director of Maryland fan right now, because, yeah, you kind of, if you're going to, and listen, I'll, I'll harken back to Seton Hall. I mean, it's the age old thing. I mean, I guess I have to have my one, I'm going around this in a roundabout way, but I'll get there. I promise you, Brian, is I have to get my one Francesa reference. One of the things that he always did get right was, okay, when people called up, wanted to fire a coach or fire Jim, okay, 
who's the next guy? And let's face it, when when they fired Lewis Orr, I don't think Bobby Gonzalez was the first choice, but the first choice didn't materialize. You have to know that you have the next guy signed, sealed, and delivered. And I wonder if maybe they back-channeled Andy Enfield and maybe he was interested at first and it didn't work out. But if you fire a guy on December 3rd and you wind up with a guy who, from what I understand, Brian was like somewhere around third, fourth, maybe fifth on their list, that's on you. I mean, you got to get the guy you want or at least something close to it. Because like you said, they kind of wound up with a, with a, another version of Mark Turgeon. And, and I can see why fans are not happy with that. I mean, and this is the guy, hey, they were, the bottom line is they were upset with Turgeon because he couldn't get to the second weekend. Well, Kevin Willard can't get to the second round. I mean, so <laughs> that's, I mean, you can't escape that fact. And I'm, I'm not a Kevin Willard basher. I think he did a fine job with what he had to work with, but that is a black mark on his record and you can't erase that stain. And let's face it, his last game was kind of a microcosm of his tenure at Seton Hall. I mean, that was, it was a total no-show against TCU. And man, if I were an AD, I'd have a hard time selling that guy to my fan base if they saw that game. So how much truth is there to what has been out there, JP, that, Kevin Willard might have agreed to a contract in principle with Maryland the day after the NCAA selection show on that Monday leading up to the first round game. Is there truth that he had agreed to it before they ever even played TCU? And if so, how much did, did it impact that game? Because it seemed like Seton Hall was not prepared to play. That's my understanding, Brian, that it was agreed to, at least in principle, that Obviously, the details had to be hammered out. The money had to be hammered out. The years had to be hammered out. All other fine print. But that there was some kind of a deal, a handshake deal or something in place uh, over the phone on Monday. And listen, I know that happens every place. But you look at other teams where the coaches almost were on the plane as soon as the, the final buzzer sounded. But look at the efforts their teams gave. Look at Todd Golden at San Francisco. His team came from Eight down with a minute and change left to tie Murray State and get an overtime. Look at Chris Jans. His team beat UConn and took Arkansas down to, to the wire. I mean, it, it's it, – again, but the only thing I'll say about this is, yes, it's a fair question to wonder, but I can't all put it on Willard. I mean, the players have to show up too, and they look lost. But, again, how much of that did affect the preparation? Unless we were there, we'll never know. Unless we were in those practices, we'll never know. But – it's a fair question to ask, and it's one just kind of like the 2020 of not knowing what Kevin's team might have done in 2020. And like you said with Maryland, same thing with Seton Hall. It's a question we'll never know if that hadn't been hanging over them, because let's face it, players know. They, they know what's going on. And I think I have to wonder if that wasn't affecting them even in the Big East tournament, because let's face it, Enfield came out March 9th, uh, right before the Pac-12 tournament, and said he was re-upping with USC. It's, I don't know. I wonder if it's a coincidence that that's when the scene all off and suddenly just totally goes south. Totally. totally. They go on a five game winning streak at the end of the season. They huge win at Creighton. Okay. Yes. Huge win at Xavier. And, and then they lay three consecutive offensive eggs, uh, three of their worst performances all season, followed by their, their worst performance ever in a postseason game in the NCAA tournament. So yeah, a uh, lot of head scratching there. I guess I guess we'll never know. So JP, the legacy of of Kevin Willard. 
I think when you look back at what he's done and what he's accomplished, I think Seton Hall fans overall owe him a, a huge thank you for making their program relevant, for bringing them to the NCAA tournament six out of the last, uh, well, it would have been six, but five times would have been Believe six. He, said, he even called it six out of seven. So it's ice sure. fair. It is. And, and it, it certainly, there's no doubt it would have been six out of seven. They would have been a third seed at, at worst. I mean, at, at best and a fourth at worst. That year. Correct. You know, top four finishes every year uh, for the last, I guess it was six years. They finished tied for fifth this year. So Seton Hall was certainly in the top tier of the Big East. So in my opinion, they should owe him a big thank you. Uh, where, do, where does he stand uh, with his legacy as a Seton Hall coach, in your opinion, JP? Yeah, I think it's 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 not far behind uh, PJ Colissimo and Honey Russell because I think that's one thing I, I don't want to st- sit here and say I'm bashing him because because again I think they're again you don't get a free ride forever for cleaning up the program but it, it was important I think there is a perception out there that oh it wasn't that bad well I I was there the the night of the Herb Pope. Uh, punch uh well double punch you did it twice uh it was bad we both know it it was bad i mean uh you, you look at uh not that i was a fan of those movies but you look at the the mad max movies that you you look at the landscape there that was pretty much seatball basketball when he took over it was barren land i mean it was tough to recruit. I mean, Seton Hall's name was bad because of everything that had gone down, and he he rehabilitated the image. And they, no, that that it, that was important, and he had to do that first. He had to do that first before he did anything else. And and then and that to, again, it's it's a cliche, but yes, is the program in a much better place than he found it there? That's that's there's no question. And and again, it can't be minimized how bad. It was when he got there. It was terrible. That's why, but that's why they were able, that's why he got the job. That's why they couldn't attract, they attracted somebody with who had just had basically one pretty good year at Iona and hadn't even made the NCAs. You weren't going to get a top-tier coach. You were going to get a coach, a young coach in his early 30s. You weren't going out and getting like a mid-major coach that had just gotten to the dance. You had to get what you could get because it wasn't, it was not a destination job. Now it is. It is. And, and that brings me to our next question, JP. Maybe it's the worst kept secret after Kevin Willard going to Maryland, <laughs> but is it a foregone conclusion? Can Seton Hall fans go to sleep uh, feeling comfortable that Shaheen yes. Holloway will be the next co- head coach of the Pirates? I don't think there's any doubt because uh, look at all the jobs that are filling up. I mean, I mean, think about it. If somehow, he, he could be Purdue or even give them a, a major scare. Uh, I mean, think of how, I mean, his star has already risen so fast these last few days, it would rise even faster. But you look at all these jobs that I just mentioned, you look at some of the guys that have gotten jobs and the jobs are just filling up. Well, nobody's waiting around. Nobody else is waiting around around the country to say, hey, let, let me give uh, Shaheen Holloway a call. Let's face it. I'm sure the word has gone out. You know, it, don't bother. He's he's going to Seton Hall, and I mean, so I, I I would not worry at all. I I just hope that Seton Hall does the right thing by him, and even though they know that this is the place he wants to be, that they they give him the salary commensurate with what he deserves. Well, he he deserves a huge pay raise, and he is somebody who 
uh, is Seton Hall through and through, as we know. You could not have picked, if it is Shaheen Holloway, uh, a better coach to transition into that next generation to hopefully keep those players there who are already in the program and keep the recruits there because uh, the people in the administration, in the athletic department, know Shaheen Holloway. Uh, he's worked with Grant Bellmeyer and some of the players who are currently in the program, you know, are familiar with him. So it, it, in some ways, in many ways, it's a win-win for the Pirates and, and Seton Hall fans, JP. I think it's also important, uh, Dino, that the fact that he, he'll give them something. I mean, this, this occurred to me actually after the fact, after we, after the presser, when obviously Kevin just basically said he was gone the the postgame presser, I, I remembered seeing just the joy. And it's obviously a veteran coach who's been in it a long time, Jamie Dixon, but you just saw the joy in the postgame with him the fact that he's able to bring literally the first NCAA win to TCU since he himself was a player and shooting threes and driving to the hole. And you see how much it matters. I mean, let's face it. That's why some of these schools have made mistakes with getting guys from the pros who were the wrong pick, like an Eddie Jordan at Rutgers or Chris Mullen at St. John's, but you see how much it matters when it's, when it's your own school, when it's your alma mater and, Again, this is, again, I sound like Gonzo again when it's not a knock, but I, I, I wouldn't say Kevin, Kevin Willer was an outsider, but he always felt, I don't know if you can back this up, you would know better being an alum. He felt like, to me, like a transient at Seton Hall to some extent. I, I think that's accurate. I th listen, he's a Long Island guy, right? Or, or you know. Long Island, correct. Long Island guy <laughs> who you know, really is, is more of a pit guy than anything. I know he played at Western Kentucky, but yeah, listen, I think he embraced it. I think Kevin Willard really enjoyed his time here. I think he loved being in New Jersey, but I think people felt like it was only a matter of time. Yeah. And you, I don't think that, you know, not if, but when, and I think yeah, you never got the idea was, was a job for life. Get out of him. 12 years. Yeah, you never got the idea. With, he even thought of it being a job for life. You never, and it could have been if he wanted it to be, it could have, he could have written his own ticket. And I mean, the expectations just making the dance was the, the, the bar. I mean, he could have stayed here a lot longer and written his own ticket, but that wasn't what he had. I don't think that was ever what he had in mind. Whereas I think if indeed is is Shaw's we all expect, I think he'd want to stay. I don't, I don't, I think that's where seen Hall's where he'd want to be. I think that's, that's his home. I think that's where he'd want to be. We'll find out because you never know. You know, I always say this. You never you know. know. No, things can change and people can change. But yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it'll be fun finding out. So as Shaheen Holloway prepares for Purdue, what do you think of what he's done uh, with that group of players? It's in my mind, it's bigger and better than UMBC knocking off Virginia, a 16 beating a one, uh, knowing what that campus and what that gym, the Yanatelli Center is like and the recruits that he has, I think it's the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history. I think so now too. I think, it's, well, I think it's also amazing about it is, you know, like the UMBC thing, Virginia couldn't shoot that day and UMBC was playing from ahead the whole time. I mean, 
you not only had a back and forth game with St. Peter's in Kentucky, you had a game where, and again, I, I don't have any metrics. I don't have the Elias sports viewer at my fingertips right now, but what? <laughs> how many times do you see a game, Brian, where the, 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 the major underdog like that, even though they forced it, they go in overtime and then they win. Usually that's it. You, you get the game to overtime and the team with the superior talent, unless they have major foul trouble, uh, they, they get the win because they just overwhelm you with their experience and their depth and, what, and their talent and whatever. But the fact that they got the win in overtime, that just showed me something. I mean, he, Shaheen Holloway, he doesn't, he doesn't look at it as David versus Goliath. He, he, and that's the thing, again, I think is different than Kevin Willard is that, and again, I, I sound like I'm, well, maybe I am, but I think he has that mentality of he's never out of a game. I feel there are games, Marquette, in the 2015 Big East tournament and TCU the other night. And I don't even necessarily think, Brian, because he was leaving, but I think there are some games where Kevin Willard would throw up his hands. I don't think Shaw will ever throw up his hands. Shot, fight, and scratch, and claw. And I think Seno fans will appreciate that because that's his personality. He he has had to fight and scratch and claw for everything he's gotten. No one's given him anything. And and I feel like Willard sometimes uh, can coast a little bit. Shaw doesn't coast. And, And he believes in his players, and his players are just like him. Because as he said in his press conference this afternoon, you know, we don't believe that we're the underdog or the Cinderella. That's the, that's the media's narrative. We believe we belong and, and we want to keep winning and we want to keep enjoying this ride. You know, we're not just here to say, okay, we made it this far. And that's what Shaheen's saying, but you know, the players are saying that they don't care who it is. They don't, they don't care. Uh, that the other guy's seven foot four or six foot ten because it's just another obstacle in their way. That comes from the head coach. Yeah, he doesn't buy into any narrative. It's like I saw that it was pretty funny. Uh, I saw it recounted that thing he said when they had one of those first halves, those stupid, which you don't get anything out of, but obviously they're paying money for this, so they do those things, those those in-game first half interviews. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of those, but sure. But but. But it was funny that uh, he said something like, uh, uh, it's unacceptable. We're playing like crap. It's unacceptable. against Murray State. We're playing like crap. It's unacceptable. But you're ahead by one. Like I said, it's unacceptable. <laughs> he doesn't care about the narrative. He doesn't care what other people think. It's, it's what he thinks and what he de- deems is acceptable or not and what, what his standard is. That's what you just hit on there. He doesn't care what people think about Cinderella. It's his standard. It's Shaheen Holloway's standard, not anybody else's. Well, it, it's something to see. I can't wait for the game against Purdue. Uh, I give them more than a fighting chance. If I was a betting man, I'd certainly take the 12 and a half, and I would take the money line straight up because <laughs> I, I think that they might pull out another upset and become the first 15 seed well, to ever make it to the Elite Eight. And what a story. Yeah, I, I know Murray State's not a power conference team, but again, what he did there too is 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 impressive too, is because again, as you saw with some of these other teams like Richmond and Chris Mooney's a terrific coach, but you saw Richmond get squashed in the second round. 
You saw back then UMBC get squashed by Kansas State in the second round. It is so hard. Again, I know they're not a power college team, but Murray State is a damn good team. And it's, it's not easy. That is so hard to come back after the high of that upset. And then to win the second round game, people don't understand how hard that is. What he has done is, is outstanding. It is. And I, I hope it keeps going, even if Seton Hall has to wait another couple of days for their next head coach. Yeah. yeah. Hey, maybe they'll have to wait until after the final four. No. <laughs> All right. J.P. Pelsman, man, it, it was it was fantastic talking with you and, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of good stuff that you gave about Willard and about Shaheen Holloway. And I really appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule. You can see J.P. Uh, in Forbes.com, and you can also catch him on the Rivals message board uh, covering Seton Hall as well. Anything else you're doing these days, JP, that I want to plug? Not much. Not, not anything else, Brian. I really appreciate you having me on. It's always fun to talk Seton Hall. And again, I just don't want it to come up. Kevin Wood did a lot of great things, and but maybe maybe it was best. Maybe it comes at a good time for both sides. Maybe it got a little comfortable. Maybe, uh, maybe again, maybe a change is good for both sides. And I look forward to seeing what's 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 ahead for both 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 Willard and both and Seton Hall. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm rooting for both Maryland and and Seton Hall. JP, we'll talk to you soon down the line. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. That is just great stuff from JP. He knows the Seton Hall men's basketball team inside and out as well as anyone. We will see where Shaheen Holloway can guide the St. Peter's Peacocks. Can they take us on one more wild ride and get to the Elite Eight and do something that no 15 seed has ever done before? I think it's going to happen. I hope it happens. If it does, we will see this team on Sunday. If not, then Seton Hall fans can start counting down the hours until Shaheen Holloway is likely named the next head coach at Seton Hall. Enjoy the games, everyone. How sweet it will be for the Peacocks if they get to the Elite Eight and maybe beyond. Who knows? Thanks for listening, everybody. Do me a favor. Keep downloading. Keep promoting the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Give me a follow and tell your friends about it if you like what you hear. So long. Until next time, enjoy the games, everyone. I'm Brian DeNovellis.